Shalom, this is Rabbi David Tilkiger of Congregation Mayim Chaim, the Eastern Shores Messianic Synagogue in Daphne, Alabama. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast of our message from Shabbat service. We pray it is a blessing to you and that you see the beauty and light of Yeshua Meshicheinu Yeshua, our Messiah, in every word you hear. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, we thank you for this Shabbat, for this opportunity you have given us to awaken uh, once again, to breathe your breath of life into our, our uh, lungs, Lord, and to be able to offer that breath back to you in worship and adoration to your holy name. Father, I thank you for this Shabbat and this time that we have to gather together as Mishpacha and holy convocation to worship you and to be able to approach your holy throne. Lord, I pray that as we open up your word today that it will be your heart speaking to us, that it will be your voice that we hear and receive, that nothing in me will be involved except that which you have ordained specifically for this purpose. Father, I thank you that you have allowed us to be here today, and I look forward to uh, us leaving this place changed and transformed, prepared to touch the world around us with the besor, the good news of Yeshua HaMashiach. B'Shem Yeshua Meshachinu, in the name of Yeshua our Messiah we pray, and everyone says... Amen and amen. All right, so over the next several weeks, we're going to do something that's a little abnormal here uh, that honestly I think we've only done two other times, if I remember correctly, in the course of the last eight years and change. Uh, I'm going to do one of these weird sermon series things. Um, it's very out of place for me, and it's probably not even going to be like most of the sermon series that you see elsewhere, um, but this is something that the Lord has really put on our hearts here at the synagogue. Some of you have heard me talk about it leading up to the new year uh, and, and so on, um, but this is a, a, a sermon series that we're going to do over the next several weeks uh, on discipleship and specifically on becoming disciples who make disciples, right? As believers in Yeshua, as followers of Yeshua, the purpose that we have to existence is to lead others to the kingdom of God and to not just lead them to the kingdom of God because it's really, it's one thing to get somebody to say a repeat after me prayer or something along those lines. It's a whole other thing to teach people how to be disciples, right? And a lot of times in the body of Messiah today, we've actually kind of reformatted the way that things are supposed to work to make it easier or more convenient for the individual because a lot of times the individual is more concerned about our own life than we are about the corporate experience or we are about what the greater purpose to the body of Messiah is and the reality is is that we have uh, in essence re, uh, uh, reformatted the way things operate and relegated the responsibility of discipleship to someone other than ourselves Right? And if we look at the Great Commission, and this is going to kind of be our uh, base concept for the next several weeks, uh, but if we look at the Great Commission, right, what's called the Great Commission, this is Matthew 28, verse, uh, beginning of verse 16. This is uh, after Yeshua has resurrected. This is after Yeshua has appeared in his post-resurrected form to his followers. This is before the ascension. This is before the outpouring. So it's in that 40-plus that, uh, day gap between his resurrection and the actual, uh, the actual uh, outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh on Shavuot in Acts chapter 2. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 16 he says now the 11 disciples went to the Galilee to the mountain Yeshua had designated when they saw him they worshiped but some wavered and Yeshua came up to them and spoke to them saying all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations immersing them in the name of the father and the son of the Ruach HaKodesh the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all I have commanded you and remember 
I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And so understand that this is something given to the followers of Yeshua, right? This isn't something that was given to the rabbis or the pastors. This isn't something that was given to the missionary kids. This isn't something that was given to the evangelist or to the worship leader or to the youth leader. This was something, this was a call given to the followers of Yeshua. And it's not such a far-fetched idea for us to understand that this great Jewish Messiah, this great rabbi resurrected from the dead would then send people out to make disciples. Because if we go back to Isaiah, what is the call of Israel? To be a light unto the nations. We were called to take the word of God in relationship and covenant with God to the nations and make them disciples of the Lord. As a matter of fact, if we go back to the covenant with the priesthood, we go back to the covenant with Moses, we go back to all of this, and what we see is this continual uh, uh, Im image, if you would, of discipleship being developed. As you've heard me say before, there was the nation of Israel that was called to be a light to the nations, right? So the small nation was called to be a light to the nations as a whole. And out of this nation, who was called to be disciplers of the nations around them, God called out a family group, a, a tribal group from this great nation to be disciplers of them. And they're called the Leviim, the Le Levitical priesthood, right? And so this Levitical priesthood had a little bit of a deeper walk with the Lord that they had to live by and uphold, but they were living that life out as an opportunity to disciple the nation of Israel, the other tribes. And then from there, there was another smaller family line out of that tribe that was called out, the Aaronic Order, the descendants of Aaron himself that were called out to live an even deeper walk with the Lord and to serve in mediation between uh, the nation and, and God himself. And in doing so, their role was to be a uh, discipler for the disciplers who disciple disciplers who disciple even greater disciplers, right? And so there's this great image of this played out over and over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, here in this passage, we see in Matthew uh, 28 that the word says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But do you understand that in the Greek that word disciples does not exist there? You know what it says? Go and make teachers. Go and make teachers of all nations. The Greek word there is matateu. Yes, the same root that we get Matthew from. It says go to make teachers of all nations. So what is a disciple? A disciple is in fact somebody who does teach. But more specifically, here's what the dictionary says of the word disciple. So obviously, first and foremost, because this is a uh, uh, post-first uh, century world, we see that the very first on almost any dictionary, the very first uh, definition given is a personal follower of Jesus during his life, especially one of the 12 apostles. But the next one says a follower, a teacher, a follower or student of a teacher, leader or philosopher. So we are called as disciples of Yeshua, to be followers of our leader, to be followers of our teacher. And it's not just followers like we're following them as they walk down the road, but we are to emulate them. We are to live like Yeshua. We are to strive to be an embodiment, if you would, an example of Yeshua here on earth today so that the world around us will see Yeshua in our midst. And what happens a lot of times in the body of Messiah is that we see this passage is for all, but it makes it really difficult on the individual, right? Because now all of a sudden I've got to get involved. I've got to get my hands dirty, right? It's really easy if I can just like encourage people to come visit my church or my synagogue with me. That's simple. That's easy. That's, I don't have to get too far out of my comfort zone. 
I can just, hey, you should come check out this place. It's great. You may love it. It'll be awesome. But the reality is, is that part of discipleship is leading somebody to salvation so that you can disciple them. As a matter of fact, one of the very core principles you have to deal with in a discipleship program in the first place is making sure that the person you are discipling not only understands salvation, but understands whether or not they're actually saved. So even if you're discipling somebody who has been a believer for 15, 20 years, you still start at the basics to make sure that they know that they know what they know or at least what they think they know. But the reality is, is that what we've done in the body of Messiah in the 21st century now, still weird to think about we're not in the 20th century anymore. You know, I grew up on 20th century Fox, so it's really weird to constantly have to think 21st. But we're, we're in the 21st century now, right? And so this is a world that moves too fast. We've got too much stuff going on. Uh, I was talking, you know, my brother works in law enforcement. I was talking with him yesterday, um, and, uh, and we were making uh, comments on how news is transmitted today, right? If you pay attention, news sources will transmit information about events that are, are or are not happening uh, with what little information they may or may not have, whether or not it's fact, and they will present it as though it's fact and then hope for the best when they figure out what's going on later, right? So the, the particular discussion they came up was uh, j- just uh, Thursday, I think it was, uh, it was either Thursday or Friday morning. It may have been Friday morning. There was an Air Force base outside of Tampa that had, uh, that had a lockdown, right? They, they went into lockdown, the protocols and whatever. And so one of the local news stations there caught wind of it and immediately ran with an article that the Air Force Base was on lockdown because an active shooter was going. So now instantly, right, this gets, keywords are used, it gets picked up by everyone. Everybody's running this information all over the country about this. So now imagine you're a parent of a kid based at this Air Force Base and outside of Tampa, as far as you know, everything's going well, you get a news alert, Lockdown active shooter on the base that your kids stationed at in Florida. What's going through your head? I mean, you know you're not going to be able to get in touch with them. If it's true, they're busy. Not to mention, you have no clue how close they were to it. Everybody's losing their mind over it. Within probably a half hour, all of that changed, and the actual original article was snatched and replaced with another article that says there was no active shooter at all. There was just some gunshots heard off base somewhere, and they just went into lockdown because that's what they're supposed to do, but it wasn't actually active shooter anywhere near it. And then as it goes by even farther, you start to find out that the Air Force never actually thought there was an active shooter anywhere by. They were just doing some sort of lockdown thing go already, and it happened that there was these noises and whatever, but it's just as this starts to, to, to snowball away from them, we realize that we're dispelling information way too fast. And uh, what ends up happening is we get into a world like today where the body of Messiah is really easy and really quick to dispel information, but we're not so quick about actually building relationships with people, right? We don't do it so well in our own lives. That's why we cleave to social media the way we do. That's why we've got four or 5,000 followers and friends on social media, and we may only have had 15 friends in our entire lifespan, right? Because we cleave to this idea that, you know, the, the, the world that's moving so fast is the real world, and we can separate ourselves from what's going on in reality if we just stick to this fast-paced thing, right? But fast-paced world doesn't fit 
and the reality of what God has called us to be as followers of Yeshua. Right? He's called us to go therefore and make disciples, tamudim, to make teachers, mediteu of all nations, immersing in the name of the Father and the Son of the Ruach HaKodesh, teaching them to observe all I have commanded you. Remember, I am with you always, even to the end of days, even to the end of age. This is what the Lord has commanded us to do. This is what he's called us to do. But what we've instead done is we've relegated the idea of not only discipling, but of leading people to salvation to other people, right? So in most congregations today, that Sunday morning message in a church has to be a salvational message every single Sunday. And in Messianic synagogues, a lot of times it's a push for the same thing. It has to be a salvational message every single week because there may be non-believers that are here. And you know what? There should be. That's a great thing when there is. It's awesome. But you know what? These houses of worship really aren't built for non-believers. They're built for believers. It's a place for a holy convocation. That's not to say non-believers shouldn't be here because God knows they should be. A lot of us who are believers still look like some of them and need to learn how to not, right? But not only that is the world needs to see what a true faith in Messiah looks like. So non-believers coming into the holy convocation is great and it's important and it's a part of it, but it's not what the holy convocation is for. As a matter of fact, where salvation should be occurring is in our everyday life. We as believers should be leading people. We should have a yearning and a desire and a passion to see people experience what we've experienced, to feel the power and presence of God in our lives the way that we do, to recognize the truth of his salvation in the way that we do. But instead, we just wait for them to hear it on Saturday or Sunday morning. We wait for them to find it on whatever Christian TV station they may roll upon, whatever flavor of televangelist screaming at them they find that day. We allow discipleship to be relegated to small groups and home groups and life groups and whatever other kind of groups we can think of. As a matter of fact, even in a lot of those, discipleship is a six or eight week kind of a thing and it's just, let's teach you the basics of how to use your Bible and hope you can figure it out from there. But that's not what discipleship is. You know how long Yeshua discipled his followers? Three years. You know how many he discipled? Please say 12, please say 12, please say 12. Because you'll be wrong. 82, at least 82. Because he had his 12. And pay attention to this. This is where he gets really, really mind-numbing, right? He had the 12, one of which was a bad apple and he was well aware of it to begin with, right? But he had his 12. Out of those 12, he had his three that he was the closest with. And out of those three, there was one that he was the closest with. And that was John. So much so that even John called himself the one that the Messiah loved most, right? So imagine being Peter going, dude, you're going to let him say that? <laughs> but uh, I digress. So he had, he had the 12, he had the three, he had the one. But then beyond the 12, he had 70 that he sent out that were called his disciples. He had 70 that he sent out to go and spread the message of the Besor, to go and bring healing and uh, freedom from, from demonic oppression and so on and so forth out into the nation of Israel. And they would have been building disciples as well along the way. By the way, discipleship wasn't some post-second century, post-first century, post-Acts 2 concept. Discipleship is how Judaism has ran pretty much forever. You know, when we talk about the house of Hillel and the house of Shammai in the first century, those were discipleship programs. 
when we read in the Talmud and it says Rabbi so-and-so speaking in the name of Rabbi so-and-so, it's because he studied under Rabbi so-and-so. That was who he was a disciple of. Paul was a disciple of Gamaliel, right? And so as we see this, we see this building over and over again. This wasn't some new concept. She was like, hey, I know how to rock the boat. Let's throw these dice and see what come up. No, he knew what he was doing. He had built it for us long before. And so he calls us to be disciples. This means he doesn't call us to bring people into our home congregations and hope that our pastor or rabbi gives a good enough message that they get a glimpse of the glory of God and they soften their hearts and turn over to him. But instead, this means that God's desire for his body, for his bride, for his followers is that we are disciples who disciple others to disciple others. Each and every one of us should be discipling somebody. And discipleship isn't a quick fix six-week program either, right? It's, it's not going to work that way. And it's definitely not a 12-step program either. Not that those are bad, but it's a different thing, right? But what discipleship should be is a one-on-one or one-on-very, very small group, but a, a one-on-one relationship in which the discipler is sitting close to the disciple and speaking life into them and living an example for them and showing them what it looks like to model a life modeled after Yeshua. Right? We should be teaching people what salvation looks like, what sanctification looks like. We should be teaching people what it looks like to walk in faith with the Lord. We should be teaching people how to read their Bible, how to be in their word every single day. We should be teaching people how to pray. As I said earlier, not just praying to talk to God, but praying to listen to God. Sometimes that involves shutting up. And I know as Americans, that's not easy Trust me, I'm a Jewish American. It's even harder. We don't shut up well. We don't shut up so well that we can't stop moving our hands while we don't shut up. But the reality is, is that sometimes we have to shut up to hear God speak. Sometimes he speaks in that still small voice because he wants to shut up to listen. Because he's tired of hearing us and he wants us to hear him. It involves teaching us how to build relationships with others how to restore relationships oh there's that uncomfortable word how to restore relationships with others it involves so much more than just leading somebody to salvation and teaching them how to follow through these 66 books bound in this cover but it involves teaching people how to be messiah like the reality is is the body of messiah has not at all been very good at this in the last, give or take, 100 to 150 years. That's just the reality of it. You know why the body of Messiah is not growing as it should? And yes, there are, don't get me wrong, there are some congregations individually that are exploding. And that's great, God bless them, I'm glad, it's awesome. But you know what? Those congregations that are exploding often are also exploding because people are transferring in from other congregations, not necessarily because of new salvations. Do you understand that? If you look historically over the last 40 to 50 years at uh, church growth in the U.S., and this includes Messianic synagogues, all right? You've got to understand we're not independent of this reality. But the last 40 to 50 years, the overwhelming majority of church growth, individual, localized church growth, it's not new salvation. 
I hate to wake us up to that reality. It's transference. It's people that got tired of what they were hearing in one church or somebody said something that convicted them a little too hard and they felt their toes were stomped and they left because it's easier to find somebody that speaks better to you than it is to listen to the Lord convicting your heart. Or we get offended because somebody did something or said something that we didn't like and rather than following Matthew's guidance in Matthew 18 and going to deal with it the healthy, right, biblical, scriptural way, we just bell and we leave. You know, one of the things I learned in restaurant industry, restaurants live and die by the word of mouth of the people that visit. Doesn't matter what your online presence is. It doesn't matter what your reviews look like. Look, you can have a thousand really positive reviews uh, on a restaurant on, you know, Yelp or, or whatever else. You can have a thousand really good reviews. You throw a handful of terrible reviews all over. You can forget about it. You can forget about it. But you know what you can depend on? Is those thousand positive reviews, the only people that they'd said something positive to about your spot was Yelp. But those handful of negative reviews, every person they came into contact with for the next month heard about that negative experience. The same is true for the body of Messiah. We are very quick And I believe that the core to this is because we have not been discipled as we should be. We have not been taught how to be disciples who make disciples. We have not been taught how to be disciples who truly emulate the reality of Messiah's life. The reality is as we get hurt, we get upset, and we leave a congregation, we may never say anything to the leadership of that congregation, never given an opportunity for it to be fixed or restoration and restitution to be brought, never given an opportunity for healing or anything along those lines and will leave. But you guarantee, odds are most of those people that left have also talked to 15, 20 other people. Some of them may have very well been in that congregation and they've badmouthed and spoken horrible, which also goes against what the Word of God says to do. Now, it's one thing to go, look, this church is absolutely weird, or this synagogue is absolutely weird, right? It's a whole other thing when you didn't follow what you were supposed to do, and then you left anyways, and then you badmouthed it. And the reality is, is we do things like this because we haven't been discipled right, and because of that, we are not discipling others right. And so here at Congregation Maim Chaim, one of the things that we are driving a heavy focus on for this year, for the year 2020. And, you know, there's the little cliche thing run around 2020 vision, 2020 or whatever. I'm not using it because it's just annoying that it's cliched already that fast. Like the first time I heard it was three weeks ago and it just blew. It's like, what in the world is going on here? But the reality is, is our vision for this year, our drive for this year at Congregation Mayim Chaim is to put a, a burden in our hearts for discipleship. We are here for the purpose of building the kingdom of Messiah, right? We say it every week when we talk about our, uh, our, our, our uh, purpose statement, right? Our statement of faith, our purpose statement, and our strategies. Every single week we quote this in our service. It's on our website. It's on everything else. It says to further, our purpose is to further the kingdom of Adonai by bringing the good news of Messiah Yeshua to both Jew and Gentile. Oh, that's cool. Great. Sweet. So what are we doing to do that? Are we, are we bringing the good news or are we simply going, hey, you should go check out this congregation I go to. It's pretty cool. You should go hear what they're teaching. Are we really out there sharing? You know how Yeshua brought the good news? He went to the streets and he preached. 
He went and found individuals and he built relationships with them and he spoke the word into our hearts and lives. You know how Paul and Peter and all these dudes did it as they went through the book of Acts? They built relationships with people and they shared the word. Paul built disciples who then built disciples who built congregations of disciples and you and I are here to thanks because of that. But somewhere along the way, the disciples of the disciples stopped discipling disciples. And we started being disciples who were never discipled. And we wonder why it is that people open up their word today and Leviticus 8, they start getting bored. Eh, let's be honest, Leviticus 2. We start getting bored. I, I'm a rabbi, I can be honest about that, right? Leviticus 2, we get bored, right? That's just, and, and we're done. I, it's hard to get through. We wonder why people will pick up their Bible for a, I'm going to read the Bible this year program, the whole Bible cover to cover in one year. That's awesome. And you talk to them at the end of the year and go, how much you get done? What, three, four books? No, three, four chapters. It's about all I got. That's it, I'm sorry. What do you mean that's all? Huh? Do you know how many people, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I really don't want to do that to you, but do you understand that how few believers have actually read the entire Bible that we say we believe in? Do you understand that? Do you know why? Because we're not discipling disciples who build disciples. We are called to, as the slide behind me says, to follow the leader. That leader is Yeshua. And he built disciples, and those disciples built disciples. And so this year, we are going to be focusing heavily on discipleship. We're going to be starting here soon a discipleship training course. And we are going to take all of our members and anyone else who is a part of this congregation that wants to go through it through a discipleship training course. And the purpose of this is to teach you how to build disciples. The purpose is to teach you how to walk people through discipleship. And look, I keep saying we because I'm as guilty as the rest of us. And if we're honest about it, every single one of us have had missed opportunities to truly disciple people. That doesn't mean we have to be the one that plants the seeds that lead them to salvation. That doesn't mean we have the ones that reap the harvest of their salvation. But when the Lord puts them in our path for us to disciple them, we need to. Discipleship is also, and if you don't like this statement, you might close your ears for a second. Don't close your ears, even if you don't like it. Listen to it. But warning. Discipleship's also not about making friends. It's about making disciples. Discipleship's not about making friends. It's about making disciples. A lot of times we get so caught up in trying to teach people how to be a disciple like we are that we forget that they're not our disciple. We're building more of his disciples. We're not teaching them to be like us. We're teaching them to be like the one we strive to be like. Right? So discipleship isn't about making friends. Discipleship isn't about trying to force some long-term relationship onto people because you know what? Sometimes people just don't want that. They don't need that. But it's also really easy if we treat this the wrong way, if we handle it the wrong way, it's really easy to build followings for ourselves rather than followings for the Lord. And so as we go through this discipleship training program, we're gonna walk as a community through the idea of what it looks like to build discipleship, disciples, and uh, that, you know, as difficult as it is to fit our busy lives around stuff like this, it doesn't matter how busy our lives are, 
God's called us to do this, and it's important. And discipleship should be a one-on-one, face-to-face thing with people at least once every week, every two weeks. That doesn't mean you've got to have 30 people you're discipling at once. You know what? That doesn't mean you've got to have 12. Yeshua was God in flesh. We, we're not. <laughs> I think we prove that quite often. But the reality is, is we should be discipling somebody. And that needs to be at least once every week, every two weeks that we're meeting with them. And it's not let's burn through this as quick as we can because some people, like this program that we're going to be teaching is an 18, uh, assumed 18-week plan. But some people that 18 weeks may take you 36. Because some people that week one thing may take you 12 just to get through. Because some people have a lot to unburden and a lot to unpack. And, but when you're doing it in a big group classroom setting, just trying to turn and burn disciples, quote unquote, really what you're doing is you're turning and burning people who are not prepared because they haven't had a chance to learn how to have intimate relationship with the Lord. They've been taught all of the practice, but none of the implementation. They haven't had a model of that. And when we disciple people one-on-one, like we see with Moses and Joshua, you know how long Moses discipled Joshua? 40 years. I'm not saying take 40 years, but if that's what God does, don't reject it either. But for 40 years, he discipled Joshua. And you know, Joshua learned a lot of what not to do from Moses. We see that when Joshua gets ready to send spies in the promised land. He sends two and he sends them in quiet and private and they come directly back to him. And he doesn't allow the word to go back to the nation as a, as a whole. He takes and says, all right, let's go. <laughs> right? There's no opera because he was with the first batch. And he knows only two came back with a good one. He wasn't risking it. We see that Elijah discipled Elisha. And Elisha went and did greater things than Elijah. You know what Yeshua says we can do because of the Ruach HaKodesh? Even greater things than he did. Still to this day, I don't know how you top raising people from the dead. Honestly, I make that joke half jokingly. But the reality is I don't think he means greater as in we can top anything he did but that he was one man doing these things. And because the Spirit of God is now within us, we are a body of millions who can do these things. So with the way that one man changed the world, if millions truly emulated and modeled him in our lives today and taught others how to do the same thing, how much more can we do? How much greater can we do it's not greater as in we're going to top it, but greater as in a mass amount. But we don't because we haven't been taught, because it hasn't been modeled. We send kids off to Bible school and uh, ministry school and to cemetery, I mean seminary schools um, to teach them how to learn to do ministry because it's easier to kick them out the door to go learn at some school than it is to actually take the time to teach them ourselves. I've been there, I mean, not to seminary, but I went to a Christian college. And I'm telling you, I was in my mid-20s when I went, or early 20s, actually, when I went. And uh, it was funny watching some of these 17, 18-year-old kids roll in with zero life experience whatsoever that were coming into a ministry training program, a pastoral ministry program, youth men program. Uh, You know, these youth men kids, they were coming in thinking they were going to be playing ultimate frisbee all day long. Most of them did, but... 
But when they actually got to the ministry part of it, they were not prepared for it. Same for your pastoral ministry kids. Same for your worship ministry kids. Same for all these kids that came in. They were thinking, they knew, like there's this call in their heart and they were ready, but nobody really ever prepared them to be ready. We just thought, ah, eventually somebody will. What happens if we start to change our mentality to where we are disciples, discipling disciples who disciple disciples? And that begins to flow over into our household. How much more of a change can we see in the body of Messiah if our children aren't just watching the do as we say, not as we do show, but instead they're watching us do and yearning to follow it. If instead of the watch me do as I, uh, watch do as I say, not as I do show, what if instead of that, we're actually intentionally modeling and teaching it into our children? I had somebody years ago at an old congregation that approached me and said, um, their kids were at this point in their, their teens, they were in high school um, and had been involved in band and soccer and sports galore and everything and everything was on Saturdays and all of this time like she was, she was Jewish, she'd come to faith and she'd been a believer for years and she really wanted her kids to come to, to synagogue all the time and she came to me one day and goes, Rabbi, my kids are old enough now, like they don't want to go, how should I, how should I make them go? What do I need to do? I said, look, you're, you're never going to make them go now. She goes, what do you mean? I said, well, their entire life growing up to this point where now they're at a place that they are old enough to actually make a decision if they want to be there or not, if it's worth their time to invest in it. But this entire time of their life leading up to it, you never taught them that it was worth the sacrifice because their entire life leading up to them, up to this moment, you taught them that everything on Saturdays was more important than God. It was more important than doing what God called us to do, which was to gather together in holy convocation. You taught them that it was perfectly cool to go to service on Sunday morning because Saturdays were booked up for everything else. And again, that's nothing against the church. But if your calling is in a messianic synagogue and you're teaching your kids that everything else is more important than honoring that calling, what do you expect? And she went, Rabbi, I've never thought about it that way before and you're right I never did show them that this was an important sacrifice to make I never tried to find alternatives for them to be able to do the stuff they wanted to do and still be able to be at synagogue never taught them how important the sacrifice it is to be a disciple in closing Colossians 1 chapter 24 I'm sorry, Colossians 1, verse 24. <clears throat> For those that didn't do the math quickly, Colossians doesn't have a 24th chapter. Colossians 1, verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for you, this is Paul speaking, and in my physical body for the sake of his body, Messiah's community. I fill up what is lacking in the afflictions of Messiah. I became its servant according to God's commission given to me for you in order to declare his message in full the mystery that was hidden for ages and generations but now has been revealed to his kedoshim, to his holy ones. God chose to make known to them this glorious mystery regarding the Gentiles, which is Messiah in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him warning and teaching everyone in all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Messiah. This is the core of discipleship. We teach 
we warn in all wisdom in order to present everyone complete in Messiah. And this is the kicker. To this end I labor, striving with all his strength. And in the Greek there it actually says all his, speaking of the Lord's, all his energy, which is powerfully at work in me. Can we honestly say as believers that we have done what Paul is speaking of here to honor the Great Commission, that we have strived tirelessly, not in our strength or energy, but in the Lord's energy, in the power of the Ruach HaKodesh to make disciples who not only know the Lord, who not only have a relationship with the Lord, but who have a yearning and a burden to build other disciples. And I'm not just talking about getting people to repeat after me. I'm talking about people whose lives are transformed or dramatically changed because they have witnessed the power and the presence of God in our lives in such a way that they want to model that in theirs because they recognize it has nothing to do with us. Look, most people look at me, most people that know me, most people that have heard me speak know that other than the power of God in me, I am a worthless junk of bones. That's just the reality. If any of us are in this room that are willing to be truthful, that's the truth of each of us. Short of God's power and presence in our life, we're yet just a useless bag of bones. But because His power and presence is in our lives, it is more necessary that we actually take the time to do what God has called us to do. So over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk further on how to become better disciples and how to become better disciples who make disciples. Because the purpose of following Yeshua is not simply to make sure that we ourselves make it through the gate. And if that's our only goal, we've already failed. Because the way that we can show our salvation, the word says, is through the fruit that we bear. And it's not just the spiritual fruit, but it's the lives that we have allowed God to change through us. Not the lives that we've changed. I've heard people run around. <laughs> I've heard this, heard this evangelist, uh, and I'm not going to mention names because <laughs> I've seen him recently, but I've heard this evangelist who uh, we were listening to him at this youth event years and years. This was when Danielle and I still qualified to be at these things. Years and years ago, um, and uh, he, in, in a three-day weekend, he spoke three different times, and in the same three-day weekend speaking, he, he had talked about how he had, and, and his wording was funny because he kept saying, I saved, blah, 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 blah. I saved, blah, blah, blah. And then he would talk about his kid, that his kid at five years old, his kid had saved, blah, 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 number of people. And every time he said it, it was a different number. So like the first time, his kid had saved 3,000 people by the time they were five years old. The next time he said it, the kid had saved 75,000 people by the time they were five years old. The next time they had saved blah, and every time it was a different number. And I was going, the whole time, I wasn't worried about the numbers. I mean, that was crazy enough. I was worried about the, the wording. I don't save anyone. People are saved in spite of the container God uses to bring them to that point. It's the Lord that saves them. He just gives me the opportunity through his blood anointing, through his atonement, through his Ruach HaKodesh to be the vessel that he uses to bring them to that point. And then he allows me the opportunity, whether I take it or not, to build them in their walk in the Lord. So I want to encourage you as we wrap this up and as we look forward to the next several weeks into the discipleship program as we move into it in a few, uh, few weeks from now, I want to encourage you to realize that it is not my job as the rabbi to disciple people. 
I'll take it out on a whole other stretch too. It's not my job to lead people to salvation in this place. It's not to say I can't and I won't. And that's not to say that salvation can't or won't happen here because it does and it has and it will. But the weight of that goal is on you and me as an individual, but not as the rabbi representing the synagogue. It is on you as individual believers going out into the community, into your workplace, into whatever place God opens up divine opportunities for you to share his word, to be a living light, an example before people and to build them up in disciples, into disciples who learn how to truly have a transformed, powerful relationship intimately with their creator because of their Messiah. Amen. Avrachamim, Father of mercies, we worship you, we love you, and we adore you. Father, I thank you that as I pray almost all the time, starting the word with the words, Avrachamim, Father of mercies, Father, I thank you that you are so merciful that in spite of our failures as a body, as a whole, for so long to build disciples that you still have a burden and a yearning and a calling coming forth for us to be disciples making disciples. Father, I thank you that you are renewing that vision even in our midst here at Congregation Maim Chaim. I pray, Lord, that as it begins here that it will be birthing something, igniting something that spreads like wildfire from here. Father, I believe that uh, as a community, uh, as we continue to step forward, forward into this idea of building disciples, this idea of building followers of Yeshua who are prepared to build others, Lord, that you will uh, ignite this revival, ignite this fresh outpouring that as we see people come to faith and begin to walk in a deeper walk with you, that you will ignite a fresh outpouring of your Ruach HaKodesh to empower us and to inspire us to move forward, that you will give us the words and the knowledge to be able to teach what you have to be taught, that it not be our words and our heart coming forward but it be yours Lord I thank you that you are merciful and renew this calling on us in spite of the fact that we have forsaken it for so long Father I thank you that you are a gracious and loving God who has allowed us the opportunity to become disciples ourselves Lord I pray that you will continue to disciple us throughout our life and in these opportunities to disciple others you will use them as opportunities to disciple us as we move forward that we can become better disciples that we can become better examples, that many lives will be changed, many hearts will be turned to you, that your kingdom will in fact be known by Jew and Gentile across the eastern shore and beyond, Lord, as people go forward and spread the word. Father, I don't care if a single one of these new believers and new disciples ever make it in this building, Lord, as long as they make it in the kingdom. Father, it is not about our kingdom being built, it is about yours. I don't care if a single one ever makes it in a Messianic Jewish synagogue, Lord, as long as they make it in the kingdom. Father, humble us that we can be true examples of Yeshua. Humble us that we can be prepared to be used by you. Humble us that we can be your voice speaking into others' lives. Humble us that we can hear your voice to speak your guidance and teaching and leadership into others. Humble us, Lord, that we can build the next generation. Father, I thank you, Lord, for everything you are doing in our midst. I thank you for our community, for our mishpacha here. I thank you for the love and the passion that our people have for you and for seeing others know you even deeper. And Father, I believe in perfect faith that you are doing something fantastic in this and that you have something phenomenal in store for each and every one of us and for this congregation as a whole.
name of Yeshua, our Messiah, we pray. Amen.